Welcome once again to another episode of Demand Gen Radio, the one program that brings you all the latest methods and technologies for driving growth and increasing demand. With the voice of Demand Gen, David Lewis. All right, welcome once again to another episode of Demand Gen Radio. Before I introduce my guests, I want to talk about something very, very important to everyone listening, especially those of you in marketing. It has been uh, the beginning of the year where there's a lot of predictions that always come out. And I wrote an article uh, at the beginning of the year that said 2020 on it. It is not a predictions article. It's an article that actually got my guest and I reconnected today, and we're going to come back to that. But since it is the beginning of the year, and I've been having some fun with predictions, I think you guys heard on one of the recent podcasts I predicted the winner of the Super Bowl, and I was correct. But I'm going to make a prediction that's actually, I think, a little bit tougher than that, because I pretty much had 50-50 odds. Here's my prediction, and, and I say this with some level of, of certainty. The economic state that we are in today, with all the economic growth that we've experienced, just given my age and background, and we'll certainly talk to my guest about it, it cannot continue. It will not continue at this pace forever. I'm not a doomsdayer. I'm not going to say that the, the market's going to tank or the financial markets are going to have you know a big shift, but I just know trends and, and trends uh, change. And the reason that I mention this is, let me tell you what happens often in marketing, especially in the past, when companies start missing their numbers. What happens is you eventually get a, a call or a meeting set and you're brought in by the CFO or someone with budget authority and cuts start happening in an organization. And those cuts way too often happen in marketing. And that's something that I wanna talk about with my guest today. But the reason that I bring it up is where it doesn't happen is when marketing is not viewed as a cost center, where marketing is essential to a company's revenue and a company's growth. So just take a moment and ask yourself, is your marketing department directly connected to revenue and growth in your organization? Is your budget vulnerable should something happen in 2020 or in the future? And think about that, and we're gonna dive in. So without further ado, today on the program, I have David Eldred. David and I and my company uh, have worked together for many, many years, about three years. But it was my post that I mentioned in the beginning of the year that brought David and I back together. And I'd like to read what he wrote. I don't know if you've read the post. If you guys haven't, uh, feel free to um, drop in and do that. But what David basically said was, I want to jump right to the middle, sir. He said, marketing isn't a cost center. It's a revenue engine of a healthy organization. The tools to reach our goals have evolved, thank goodness, and the complexity has expanded. But I, for one, am very glad. Marketing today has become what I dreamed of back in the 90s, a marriage between technology and marketing that can help all of us serve our customers and members more efficiently than ever before. So like myself, David and I have a strong passion for marketing, for technology, and for people, and it's an absolute pleasure to have you on the program, David, because we've never had these one-on-one -on -one kind of intimate chats about our experience in the marketing industry. And uh, we'll get into uh, 
David's role there. But first, David, thank you so much for A, chiming in on the post that I made. And that really gave us a, a catalyst for the discussion today. So thank you and welcome. How are you? Great. Uh, thanks for having me. It's uh, great to be here. Well, let's let's share where we got connected and talk a little bit about what you do. So this is that you guys are in for a real treat because I think most of you, if the majority of you, are B two B marketers or B two B sales. And what's very special about David is David is at Rivermark Credit Union. And uh, if if the term credit union is not familiar to you, you might want to think of it as a bank. I know that my father-in-law, who was an employee of Lockheed for 30 years, has always been a member of a credit union and still is to this very day. But David, why don't you tell us a little bit about credit union and why why I'm so excited about the episode today is what we're going to talk about, not only is marketing being a revenue engine and how we do that, but what's unique about David's business is it's, let's call it B2E, business to everyone, or B2I, business to individual, or even B2C, more common. And so David and the team there are really responsible for bringing clients on board, which are individuals. And he knows better than anyone that closed one does not equal closed done because they have a big range of products and services uh, to grow the revenue and grow the relationship they have with their their customers. So tell us a little bit about your background and and where that passion for marketing and and technology has come. And let's dive into what's happening there at, at Rivermark. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. I, I suppose you're right. Not everybody knows what a credit union is, and you hit it on the head. Um, basically, we, we provide all of the same services that you'd find at the big banks, but oftentimes with that extra level of service and um, smaller scale, say, that uh, you don't find at the big banks. And so uh, a credit union is similar to a community bank in terms of the scale, right? And oftentimes we're about the same size, um, serving a a local community rather than a national audience. But a a credit union is a little different in that we're a not-for-profit kind of financial cooperative. And so what that means is that we, as a a credit union, are motivated by serving our members. A member of a credit union is an owner, similar to a stockholder, except that we're not motivated. The stockholders are motivated by a return on the equity investment. As a member of the credit union, you are a, a shareholder in in terms of the deposit account that begins your membership. But as a financial cooperative, we're here. You know, the mantra of credit unions is people helping people. It's very similar on the flip side to kind of the old uh, savings and loans where people kind of pooled their money together uh, to help each other buy houses. And then as they paid their their loans back, then that money was freed up for other people to also do the same. Credit unions do the same thing, um, but in that kind of not-for-profit category, um, we're kind of looking out for our members' best interests. So in a nutshell, we, we can serve pretty much everything that the big banks can, um, but we bring it down to a local level and without that kind of profit motive that the big banks generally bring uh, because of their shareholder focus. Nice. And as I said, and I just want to make, uh, I'll do a little fact checking. You are responsible as your role as director of marketing and digital experience. You guys are responsible for customer acquisition and revenue growth within the install base, right? That's not divided in some way uh, or walled off, correct? 
Right. I mean, um, you know, certainly we have our, our branch operations. We call them our, our member experience team. Mm-hmm. Um, they're, they're our sales equivalent, you know, front end. Um, but we work very closely with them to acquire uh, leads and new members, uh, existing members, uh, cross-sells, of course, to expand that share of wallet. But from, I think, to the back to your original post, you know, um, some organizations, marketing is viewed as that cost center, right? It's like we have to spend this money, this kind of a reluctant approach to, yeah, we have to do this thing called marketing. Um, but really, the magic happens at the sales side. Well, you know, I think we are very fortunate at, at Rivermark to be viewed as a revenue engine. We uh, evaluate the market that we serve and look for those opportunities to acquire members at, let's say, a higher than average rate, uh, both driven by maybe market growth, um, competitor landscape, that sort of thing. We want to grow at a faster clip, right? That's, that's the goal of marketers everywhere. Yep. Um, and, and we're no different. Um, my team is a little more expansive maybe than uh, maybe some, uh, some credit unions where we're also, we own what we call the digital experience. So mm-hmm. we own um, the online banking, the mobile banking space as well. So we're very digital forward. Um, Rivermark has a long history of kind of being uh, embracing the technology and the tools that uh, not only make our jobs as marketers and as uh, uh, financial service professionals um, easier, but also are kind of the, the tools that uh, consumers and small businesses are increasingly adopting these days to help make their financial lives better, easier, faster, that sort of thing. I love it. Um, for folks listening, especially if you work at Adobe, pay careful attention to this episode because you guys are about to hear some of the tools and technologies that David and the team use there. And what's really cool is, let me, let me and, and David, update me on this, but I did a little stalking of you and um, found some interesting things. One thing is I kind of dug into that banner image on your LinkedIn profile and found that word Finnovation, which I had never heard of. Uh, before and and the definition wherever you were on Google uh, says the action or process of innovating in financial services and you've certainly done a lot of innovating there but I think the important thing that I want to start off with and again if it's changed let us know is you lead a six-person marketing team and you manage a marketing budget of around one and a half million have those numbers changed dramatically since you posted that on LinkedIn no, that's 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 the size and scale that that our organization currently operates in. Yeah. Cool. So no excuses, everybody, in terms of the impact that you can have on your business, because David and his team are about half a dozen and one and a half million in marketing spend. But the most important thing I think in terms of getting to know David is this absolute passion that he has for marketing not being a cost center and revenue center. And when you read about his accomplishments, and I'm just going to grab a couple, Dave, uh, and it's you and your team, you know, he talks about in here, not, not about I did this and did this and did this. He's highlighting marketing's accomplishments. So in one of the programs that they ran, achieved a 7% take rate in first year for a total of $36 million in new loan volume, which is substantial to a bank. And then a return on marketing investment, you ready for this? 2,500%, not 10%, not 50%, 100%, but 2,500%. Another uh, 
achieving 18% improvement in cross sales ratio after 18 months by what did you do? You led the evaluation and selection of Marketo as your marketing automation platform and deployed um, your email automation, website personalization, direct mail. Uh, we'll get into that. And call center integration. So David is is operating a marketing department with the same powerful tools that many of you have and doing so in a way that's driving revenue and, and accountable to driving revenue. So when I said in the beginning of the podcast, like, let's protect the discipline of marketing, let's protect our budgets, let's protect your jobs and roles and make sure that marketing is not a cost center, it's a revenue center. David lives and breathes us every single day. Let's go back to that that time when you and the team brought in uh, Marketo and, and started bringing in marketing automation. What was happening at that time at the credit union? And by the way, you're not alone. Like in the last, I would say, 12 months, we've probably done uh, Marketo implementations for at least half a dozen credit unions, um, and, and they're just starting their journey. They're way behind where you guys are, but have, are going down the same path. So what was happening back then, David, that you said, you know what, it's time for us to bring in some innovation and, and, and go this route? Well, we, we had been postponing um, kind of a typical marketing function, a, a website redesign, right? Um, typical front end had gotten a little stale, um, and one of the things that I wanted to help our team really kind of engage on was this integrating the power of data and all of the things that we know about our members to try to make the, the website experience a much more dynamic and personal experience for that particular member, right? You know, traditional uh, bank and credit union financial services marketing, we do a lot of, have done a lot of like seasonality, like you know, uh, new car buying might be a, a springtime event. Um, you know, home buying uh, and, and the home loans that come from that might be typical summertime activity and fall is great for checking acquisition. And those are, those are traditional kind of seasonal things that we as bank and, and credit union marketers have just learned over the years. But, but what we, we've learned is that all of this data that we as um, financial service companies, our industry, we know so much about our members and customers. And tapping into that is something that we really wanted to do. Um, and so we started down the path initially of it's a website redesign. Let's make the home page and other pages of the website be more of a one-to-one -one experience, right? Mm -hmm. Don't just put a static home page image and offer up. Let's, let's change that for each person as they come to our website. And one of the early companies we had looked at was a company called Blueconic, who was capable of powering that kind of personalization engine based on the data that we would give them about our members. And at the time, when we, when we kind of explained that to our exec team, they, they really encouraged us to kind of think big, like, okay, that's great. Well, if you had a bigger budget, what, what else could we do? And uh, it was... I, I guess I, we're very That's fortunate. A, our, um, how often? Do, yeah. I, I hate to, I, I just want to underscore that. The question was, if you had a bigger budget, what would you do? Just the opposite of like, hey, your budget's at risk. It's, hey, you guys can drive revenue. And if we gave you more money, what would you do? Let me let you continue. That I just love that. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I loved it too. I mean, I was fairly new at the organization at the time. I'd come from... Um, the commercial side of banking, shall we say, I uh, uh, was the head of marketing and product development at Bank of the Cascades and here in the Pacific Northwest. And, 
you know, they were a bigger commercial banking organization. I, and I, in that organization, I really had to kind of fight for the dollars that marketing had at, at its disposal. So coming to the credit union side and specifically to Rivermark, um, I think what helped our exec team uh, feel empowered to say that was our chief experience officer at the time was a guy named Seth Schaefer. Um, he had come originally up through our marketing team at Rivermark years before. And so he was in the executive role and he understood the power of marketing to drive revenue, uh, to drive those leads. And uh, it happens that Seth uh, has now um, been named to the CEO seat. He's been there over a, a year now, 18 months. And so we, we have a very strong uh, um, belief in our C-suite in the power of marketing and, and more uh, in the power and the marriage of marketing with technology, that MarTech stack that unlocks some of the, the data that we know as bank marketers, bank credit union marketers, that uh, we know all this stuff about our members. Let's use it. Let's let's use that technology to be more efficient and and uh, communicate in a more personal way. So they they unlocked the budget, <clears throat> and uh, that that's when we started to evaluate. Okay, well, who should we? Which vendors should we bring to the table for this discussion? Mm-hmm. And one of the things that we did was we just turned immediately to the Gartner Magic Quadrant about marketing automation and. At the time, Adobe was uh, – they had their Adobe Marketing Cloud, I believe. Um, Blue Conic was one of the ones that I had sourced for the website personalization. Our technology team um, really wanted us to include Sitecore, which was also on the Gartner Magic Quadrant. And we needed a a third one, um, actually a a fourth one. And that's where we we stumbled, quite frankly, on Marketo. Wow. And, uh, in, you know, going into that process, I, I, was, I was almost certain that we were going to end up with Adobe Marketing Cloud. And, uh, you know, at the time, they, they were separate companies. Mm-hmm. Um, the, when we looked at Marketo, you know, we made some phone calls around and talked to some people. And they said, well, Marketo is a B2B, you know, that's their, their core is, is as a B2B platform. Interesting. We called them and we talked to them and we said, well, our phase one, uh, you know, what we want to drive with our phase one implementation of marketing automation, you know, there's four things. We mm-hmm. want email automation. We want to incorporate direct mail automation. We want to personalize the website and we want to integrate and coordinate with our call center for outreach telemarketing. Right. Those are the four we wanted in phase one. And, and Marketo looked at it and says, yeah, we can do all that. And I was like, okay, you got our attention. Mm-hmm. Um, let's let's get you in the mix. And so it was a very intense kind of time where we were talking almost a- every day with one of those four vendors, uh, and ultimately it kind of boiled down to Adobe and Marketo. Mm-hmm. And I'm very very happy that we selected Marketo, um, but it was a very intense kind of evaluation period. Um, and uh, selecting Marketo ultimately was was our choice, and I think it was a great one. It was a great one, and it, and it ultimately became an Adobe choice uh, as well. Adobe was was uh, very uh, very keen to grab uh, Marketo and add it to their portfolio, and and the reason was was you know quite obvious. If you take a look at the marketing systems that are out there, you really have the B two C platforms and the B two B platforms. Now that's the way they position it. But what is really the difference, what is absolutely the difference is platforms designed for impulse buying type marketing programs 
and those for considered purchase. And so even though, you know, Marketo is, quote, a B2B platform, like I've seen plenty of Adobe slides that say Adobe Campaign, their other uh, platform, is their B2C platform, and and Marketo is their B2B platform, the real differences really have to do with how the buyer buys. And your buyer is making a considered purchase. It's not an impulse buy. And you're also not marketing to you know, tens of millions of people where it's uh, Monday's President's Day. So we're just in advance of the uh, Valentine's weekend when David and I are sitting down. And there's going to be lots of promotions and campaigns going out. Every car dealership out there, which, by the way, is a considered purchase, but um, there's going to be lots of retailers that are going to be putting out President's Day sales, right? And so probably a different platform uh, designed for that. And in the decision you made, David, let's let's continue on that journey. I, I don't know what led you guys to demand gen. You, you might know that, but of course, we got an outreach and said you were getting Marketo, and we became your partner to implement that and stand it up uh, for you, and that's three years ago. Do you remember how that connection was made? Because I, I don't. Yeah. Well, I mean, uh, <clears throat> the, uh, the Marketo team that we were working with during the sales process, we went into, you know, making the vendor selection, that, that's a, a considered purchase of its own, right? Yeah. Um, but we wanted it to be more holistic, right? We went into that decision with, okay, we're going to buy this platform, but we need to know what the total cost of ownership is going to be, right? And so we, we thought about, okay, we're going to make the investment in Marketo. Um, we also need to get up to speed on that platform very, very quickly, right? We didn't want it to be a repeat of kind of like back in the 90s when when I helped bring on board a, a new technology at the time was an MCIS system, Marketing Customer Information Files, a relational database basically built for marketers in financial institutions to better target, analyze, segment, and sell to their customers, their members. Um, back then, MCIS were a great tool, but they oftentimes were underutilized because they're very complex, right? It's a lot of data, mm-hmm. paralysis by analysis, yeah. and standing these things up, making it a driver of marketing, you need to bring it down to some very specific use cases, some very specific deliverables, and be able to deliver on that. We didn't want that to happen when we made the investment in the marketing automation platform. We, we knew we, we would need help, so we had to budget for um, a consultancy, um, to help us get that stood up and then get up to speed quickly with our internal team to kind of take the reins from the consultants and uh, do as much as we could ourselves. So that's where we, we uh, asked, like, who, who, who should we talk to? And DemandGen uh, was one of the names that was floated. You guys have some um, roots here within the Pacific Northwest. We thought that was nice. And we um, did a couple of reach outs and you guys said the right things, and uh, and the relationship kind of grew from there. Nice. You know, I'm thinking back now. Um, it may have been Josh on the Marketo team that made the introduction. I'm not sure, but I I'm forever grateful that they connected us, and I know the team has really enjoyed working with you guys. You mentioned direct mail, so um, when you deployed Marketo, you also looked at the LaunchPoint tool set and said, "What else can we integrate for the kind of marketing that we need to do?" And you selected PFL, uh, who is a partner of ours, and and uh, for your direct mail. And I remember uh, the uh, the party in the box. So in in I think that was two thousand. 
I don't know, 2017, Demand Gen, uh, our marketing team, we had a, a phenomenal speaker, David. The, here's the background to the party in the box. We had a phenomenal speaker come. It was 2016 uh, when this kicked off. Stan Phelps, and I should have Stan on the podcast. And Stan uh, talks about purple goldfish and giving little unexpected extras. Uh, and so he spoke to our whole company at a company offsite. And he put us into a workshop and said, think about your customer experience, which is really relevant to you guys, right? Because you have such a direct connection to your, your buyer and your consumer and your client. And so the idea started flowing up in terms of what's our customer's experience and what could we do to like, give a little unexpected extra? And that's where the idea of the party in the box came from. By the way, uh, David, I was in a group and my idea was that when we send invoices to our clients, we should include a recipe from one of the top chefs in the world on, on the bottom of the invoice so that you know when you get an actual invoice, you actually look forward to it and getting it. Uh, that was shot down by my finance manager who said, I think that's the stupidest idea you've ever come up with. So I don't know if it was, but it was my clever idea to give a little unexpected extra but our marketing team came up with the idea of the party in the box. And, and why don't you describe what that is? Because you experienced it, and uh, I, I've never received one, but you certainly did. Well, yeah, no, it was, it was very unexpected. We, we had no idea. This, this box kind of arrives um, on, our, on our desk, and, <laughs> and uh, it, was, it was very fun. Um, you know, we actually brought it out in front of the whole, you know, the marketing bullpen is what we call it, our, our uh, marketing roundtable. And we opened it up, and inside was this little kit for an instant party. And uh, you know, as I recall, it had a, a banner that we would hang up on the wall. There were these kind of uh, fun little photo booth style signs on sticks, and little uh, you know, uh, kind of like the, the trinkets that you'd, you'd put you'd put on or put in front of your face as part of a photo booth uh, uh, session. And we all. Um, took turns kind of like posing underneath the banner and then we got the group together and uh, I think we even brought out a little bottle of champagne that we had been reserving for something and uh, had a little uh, Insta party um, where we celebrated really what was the culmination of, of, as I alluded to before, a very intense period of time effort for the marketing team. You know, it was uh, evaluating four different vendors, each of which had very unique qualities and capabilities trying to match that up with use cases and make what would be um, an investment and commitment that would span, you know, what we envisioned at least a five-year commitment. Mm-hmm. Um, it was fun for the marketing team to, to kind of participate in that because, you know, oftentimes marketing is, is one of those back office activities that, you know, if we do our jobs really well, I I kind of like the idea that people don't even notice. Like, oh, I wasn't marketed to. It was this. I just did this. It was natural. And so, for the for the marketing team to have something that recognized their contribution to this thing, this engine right. that was going to power so much of our effort in the coming years, uh, was was a fun experience for everybody. Great it was, team building. It was a clever idea. What what made it fun is we got to you know practice what we preach, right? So we we built the campaign. Uh, we partnered with PFL, and all those elements got printed. I believe on demand. I believe it wasn't that they made like a whole bunch of the party in the boxes that we had set it up so that your client engagement manager, when the project was closed out, a certain type of project would trigger uh, a workflow that now this 
key contact at the account should receive party in a box. It would alert your client engagement manager, and I think they would indicate how many people um, should be celebrating or something like that. And and then it would go through the workflows in Marketo, send out the triggers to PFL. Uh, the product uh, would get assembled and picked, packed, and shipped and arrived to you. And it was it was very, very cool. And um, we did it for quite some time. And like you, we got some really positive feedback on it. So all of us are always trying to up our marketing game. And, and the whole reason we did it, David, like I remember the the presentation at the offsite and what marketing shared is, Marketing doesn't get recognized too often for the efforts and the contributions that they make to a company. And sales, you know, rings the bell every time a deal is closed, um, either literally or, or metaphorically. Sales goes to club. Sales gets recognized with a lot of accolades for their contribution to the business. And so we thought the party in a box was a nice way for marketing to say, hey, look at us for a moment. We just did something really impactful to the business. And, and you only got a party in the box if you were doing something um, significant and certainly a stand-up of, of Marketo and integrating it with your guys' uh, custom CRM and the work that you were doing there was great. Let's talk about the journey since then. You guys have had a, a lot of great success um, walking down that, uh, you know, sharing some of, of David's results with his team. By the way, I don't know if you've ever submitted for a Fearless 50 or one of the, the Adobe Awards, but we should we should get you if you haven't. Um, you said we achieved a 36% reduction in single service households, which a 36 reduction was, we'll talk about, is a, is a good thing. Um, single service meaning that expansion. And, and this is what's going to make everybody jealous. And I think you, you can highlight this in the Refer a Friend uh, acquisition program that you did. You achieved open rates of 70% and click-through rates of 35 to 40% and conversion rates as high as 50% on the click-through rate. Now, normally, I would not celebrate you know, publicly like tactical marketing metrics about click-through rates and open rates, but because those are so off the charts amazing, uh, and, and typically, if you get those kind of results and you're targeting the right person, then you're going to have you know, that flow down to revenue, no doubt. Uh, and, and like your Refer a Friend acquisition program, you guys uh, over two years almost brought in 10,000 new accounts, 15 million in, in balance increases, and a return on marketing investment. This time, not 2,500, Dave. You really slacked on this one, only a 500% uh, on it. So how are you getting, do you think, like what's the magic that you guys are having this kind of a, an impact uh, and, and your, your, your audiences are engaging with you so much? What's the, what's the recipe there? Well, I think what, what marketing automation really kind of unlocked for us, really opened our eyes to, was how when we tap into this data that we know about our members, and, and really that data being powered by the marketing automation capabilities that, for instance, Marketo brings to the table, um, we, are, we are not selling to people. We're providing them information about something that they're already interested in. You know, as I think you said in the opening segment uh, remarks, uh, you know, people don't generally wake up in the morning and say, today I'm going to go open a checking account. They, they, it's not that kind of a, a product or service. Generally, people think about financial services as a way to get what they really want. Maybe they're buying a home. Maybe they need to buy a car. Or they're mad at their current provider and they're looking for a better alternative. So, um, what, what we've found is that with Marketo, by a, being able to tap into what people are actually doing with behavior that they're currently engaged in, 
Marketo allows us to automatically follow up with them with more information about that particular product or service. And we find that the opt-out rates are almost zero because, um, again, people don't like being sold to, but they do like getting information about a, a financial service or a decision that they're evaluating and being um, you know, proactive in providing that information puts us in good light, but it also just provides them with that level of service that you know, they've always hoped for, right? Like, um, it's like um, when you wanna make a purchase and, and you're, you're trying to figure out, well, what's my budget? Who should I be looking at? You know, people tend to go online I think we've all read the, the stats from Google, 88% of consumers, maybe even small businesses, go online to do research before they ever set foot in a branch or call mm -hmm. us on the phone. And so by tapping into that data, we're unlocking that kind of behavioral intent. They're kind of silently raising their hand. Um, and then we follow up with them with email, of course. We've used PFL to send postcards. And so online and offline channels kind of working together in this integrated marketing funnel, we find that people respond to that well. When you and I talked the other day, you used the word um, about propensity and you just really touched on it. And I, and I, I've, it's such a clever marketing, I don't know, tactics the right word, but right, you have your site and you guys have carefully orchestrated your website experience and, and have you know, your range of products and services. And someone comes to your site and maybe clicks into student loans because let's say for myself as, as a father, I've now put two daughters through college. At some point, if I'm banking with Rivermark, I might need another product or service from you. So now I'm looking at student loans or I'm looking at car loans or something. And I go to the website because maybe you, you brought me there through an email campaign or maybe I'm just going to the, the, the bank or, or through the mobile app, which we'll, let's get into the, the mobile work that you guys have done. And now I step on, like I step on like, a, like almost, not a landmine, but like I trigger a propensity and interest in a given product or service. And you guys have nurture flows and design that immediately grab that digital body language and activity and, and follow up with someone. And that's what you're saying is that by doing that kind of smart marketing and triggering the distribution of additional content, and it, it's not, hey, look at us and, and here's our product and service. It's, it's content written in a way that helps them understand the pain point that they're in or the need that they have. Um, do you guys do a lot of that across the site for the various products and services? And, and how did you come about figuring out to, to do some of that? Because, you know, we we're writing these days about AI and such, but you guys are looking at the tool sets that are just within Marketo and saying, hey, look, we can, we can do the following things. And how'd that come about? Right. Well, I mean, um, the idea of propensity models, uh, at least in financial services, has been around a long time, right? I mean, we were using that back in the 90s when we would partner up with Claritas and use their, let's say, their PRISM model to segment the American uh, population uh, into whatever it is, uh, 56 different clusters of, of, of demographic and psychographic indicators to try to uncover if there's a higher propensity for, let's say, a home loan or a home equity loan or an auto loan. Um, among different consumer groups and then reach out to them, you know, much more targeted um, with an offer that, you know, we're at least being narrow enough in our scope that, you know, the waste of the spend in, let's say, direct mail back then uh, was minimized. Nowadays, we, we, we do the same thing. 
um, we, we kind of start with propensity for existing members where we know, you know, again, a lot about our, our members. Um, we generally know uh, age all, all, always. Um, we, we have a pretty good idea in, uh, about income. And so between age and income, we can segment into what we consider six different primary consumer uh, segments. And one of those key segments for us, we, we tend to skew younger, I think somewhat because of our mobile app and the technology investments we've, we've made. Um, we tend to have a younger demographic here at uh, Rivermark. Our average member age is about 37. Nice. And so that puts us into the consumer segment we call credit-driven. Basically, it's 18 to 34-year-olds who earn uh, 50000 or more in a household income. And based on that consumer segment, we know that that consumer segment has a propensity uh, for used auto loans at about two and a half times the national index, uh, new auto loans at almost 200% of the national index, and of course, you mentioned student loans at almost 300% mm-hmm. of the national index. And so using that as a starting point, if we know your age and income, if you're 18 to 34 and earning 50000 or more a year, the likelihood of you being in the market or interested in those three products or services, pretty high. Talk about knowing thy buyer. Yeah. Well, exactly. You know, I think it was uh, Peter Drucker that said, uh, you know, the aim of marketing is to know and understand the customer so well that the product fits them and just sells itself. Love it. And so with that kind of assumption, you know, what we do with Marketo is to kind of personalize the website with that product very front and center based on that consumer segment. Um, you know, there's five other segments, so it's all different for hopefully everybody, but that's the, the starting point. And if you engage with that content, then, then we're watching, you know, with Marketo and the Munchkin code and, and monitoring what's going on, we know that, oh, you actually clicked on that used auto loan and we then target you into a nurturing path to kind of stay in front of you during that consideration phase. Like you're, you, might be, you might be thinking about that new car smell. And, uh, and so we want to stay in front of you during that period where you're evaluating that. And if you, if you do that, if you engage with that content, then you, you get that nurturing path and we, we find lift. Not just with the, the website and the email, but also, you know, we're following up with PFL, with the postcards, we give those leads through our um, lead scoring system over to our contact center who reaches out and makes a phone call. Um, and so online and offline, that, that integrated marketing approach yields a higher than average lift. It's, it's so exciting to hear you think of these different um, you know, principles that we all talk about, but when they all come together, right? That knowing thy buyer and thinking about the buyer's journey. I was listening to you talk about the metadata, the data that you have on your on your your customers. You know their income. You even know how often they get paid. You know how much they they spend. You know the other financial products they have or don't have, and you're really harnessing those insights to um, get in front of them the right products and services to solve their their problems. Let's talk about mobile because you you are. Um, very innovative and, and really leading uh, from a brand perspective. When did the mobile initiative start and, and what's some of the work that you've done in, in terms of turning that device into an engagement device and, and leveraging that there with your, with, your, um, with your customers? Yeah, well, I mean, mobile's pretty exciting because, you know, P- 
people may forget where they put their car keys, but they don't forget very long where they put their cell phone. That's true. And so it's with all the time, you know. And so um, you're right. You know, again, uh, Rivermark has tried to be uh, forward thinking in terms of how do we use technology to serve our members better uh, and where they are. Um, we tend, uh, we have, we actually have a, a, a motto for our approach to to uh, digital and specifically to mobile. The, we we call the mobile phone um, the branch in your hand, right? Mm-hmm. What you can do on our mobile app is almost the same thing, service for service, as you can do in a branch. And so, uh, if if you like the convenience of being able to shop, uh, literally get your home loan, which is probably the most complex uh, decision that you evaluate as a consumer. You can apply for that home loan right from your mobile phone in the home that you may be sitting in with the realtor who just showed it to you. And, uh, you know, I, I suppose consumers might be, might be more familiar with rocket mortgage and, and that idea that they uh, espouse through their national advertising. We, we made that happen uh, boy, a couple years ago with uh, our mobile app and how we enable that uh, mobile channel to facilitate what, what consumers need to accomplish. And so, um, you know, it, it doesn't end there, though. Um, you know, uh, and, you know and, and I, have to, I have to say, this isn't just a marketing initiative. This is really an enterprise initiative. Um, our marketing team works very closely with our technology team. Um, three, four years ago, Rivermark had, you know, four in-house developers who would help us um, create code for our mobile app in what we call our create your own mm-hmm. um, uh, little pieces of real estate. Think of them as, as an iframe in a very simplistic sense that appears within our mobile app right. <clears throat> to extend the functionality of our mobile banking system in ways that, uh, you know, exceeded that of our core banking provider. Um, so it, it became a more robust experience. Um, but we also are using, you know, the the mobile device and, and the mobile marketing technology to really kind of reach out into the market and, and, again, uncover those kind of behaviors that lead to us knowing what the intent of that consumer might be. Um, so a, a, an example of that is <clears throat> on the mobile side, we've got um, uh, uh, geofencing, mm-hmm. um, targeting. So when that phone, um, enters one of our branches, we can target that when that phone that we now know is one of our members, um, enters a competitor branch, we know it. Wow. Um, we've used it, that. um, target, let's say your phone enters a home Depot or a Lowe's. Well, it's probably a pretty good chance that you're thinking about some kind of home improvement project, or maybe it's a, a purchase of you know some higher end appliances or a kitchen remodel. So we've used that data to target you know our members for um, uh, you know home equity loan, home equity line of credit to help them facilitate that the, the build out of their their remodel. So th- those those are cues that you know don't necessarily derive from our website, but it, it's based on using the technology and the tools available to uncover intent and an opportunity to help somebody accomplish what, what they need uh, in their personal life with financial service that we can then provide. 
with a six-person, $1.5 million marketing team that works closely with the tech group. I, I, you, can, you can see, I mean, I can hear, David, how much you guys probably storyboard out the life of your customer and what they do and where they go and think about how you can engage with them. Love, love that Adobe uh, rebranded the Marketo platform as Marketo Engage because it really just so well positions what the platform is designed uh, to do. Let's talk about lead scoring because um, you guys are doing multi-model lead scoring um, and, and worked on that initiative with, the, with my team. How, talk about that process and, and how lead scoring is being used there within uh, not only the system but in terms of um, helping the, uh, the sales team. Right. Yeah, no. Um, we, we knew, uh, you know, you're right. It was Josh Frickle uh, at Marketo at the time who uh, was the one who said, hey, you guys should make use of our lead scoring. And um, when we started down that path, we went with the, I think the, you know, kind of the out of the box recommendation was let's, let's stand up the engagement model. So we know how engaged somebody is with our content, both email as well as um, the website. Um, but what we found very early in that process was that the engagement model didn't give us enough specificity, right? We knew that they were coming to our website, but we didn't know, well, what were they looking at? We've got 11 different lines of business, nine of which are very actionable. And so we pivoted, uh, definitely with the help of your team, to stand up what was the multi-model lead scoring system that we're still using today. Um, and so we, we track uh, nine different primary lines of business um, by um, monitoring key pages of our website uh, and the content that we push out via email for engagement triggers. Again, that idea that people don't wake up in the morning and say, I'm going to open a checking account. But by golly, if they go drill down on our website to our checking product page, it could be that be, they are evaluating you know, whether our checking account could meet their need or an auto loan or a home loan. So we're watching for those things. And those, the, that data flows into the lead scoring model. And we've experimented, you know, a few times, you know, when we first went down that path, we started, you know, thinking, well, if somebody is really engaging on that, like their, their lead score is high on um, home loans, then we should, we should reach out to them. And what we found was that, that was the wrong, that was the wrong trigger, trigger. We, we were waiting too long. And so we pivoted, uh, your team helped us um, remap that to where we were hitting them literally when they first hit that page. Mm -hmm. um, uh, so the first time that they land on our credit card page, we, their, their lead score increments to five on our, on our numeric scale. And that is a trigger for us to immediately send that lead over to our outbound uh, team who reaches out and says, hey, we'd like to you know, make you aware we've got a, a special on our credit cards now, our cashback card, you can earn 2% you know, cashback. And, uh, and uh, they, they have enjoyed receiving those leads because it's, it's a person in motion, right? Very early in that evaluation process. And so the outbound team uh, loves receiving those leads. We give them to them every day through a subscription that Marketo facilitates. It comes to us by email. And, uh, and we send those leads over to the outbound team. So the phone call happens, the email goes out, and then they get uh, a postcard three days later in the mail in case they haven't yet acted on it. And the integration of those three channels leads to a significant lift in take rate 
um, for, you know, at this point, nine different product lines that we're monitoring through the multi-model lead scoring system. It is is so nice to hear you using the different powerful parts of the application and and applying it for your business type. Um, you guys are always on the quest for continuous improvement, and what's interesting is that you're now running this experiment where you're, you've set up some control groups and say, what would happen if we didn't do some of the things that we do um, to control groups? Can you talk about that? Because I think it's been going on for a little bit, and... Um, maybe starting to see some of the, the impact. Right. Well, I mean, we're in our third year with Marketo, um, but it, it's only been recently that we, we stood up the control group, right? I mean, it was one of those things where, you know, a typical debate between marketing and our finance team, right, is like, well, that person would have, would have opened the account anyway, right? The marketing investment we made, did we really need to make that investment or would they have done it anyway? And, and so we wanted to really be able to prove out, well, what is the lift that the marketing automation is contributing above and beyond that which, you know, our natural branch network and our sales team, they're looking for opportunities to deepen relationships all the time as well. And so three months ago, we stood up our control group system and said, particularly when somebody um, switches to us as a new member, you know, there's a typical kind of honeymoon period where, you know, for whatever reason, they, they came to us. Maybe they're mad at their previous institution or they moved to the area and they want a local provider. Um, they, they open their membership with us. Maybe they open their checking account. Um, there's a honeymoon where we have an opportunity to kind of capitalize on that momentum. And so we want to we wanna facilitate that with what we do with Marketo. You know, we have an onboarding program when a new account is opened, as well as a new membership. We put them through a multi-stage kind of process in that journey of mapping them over to us. And to, to maximize that, we wanted to measure what is, what is the marketing automation system contributing. And so it's very early. I think, you know, the, the thing about financial services and the, the the possibility of really capturing the full share of wallet that each consumer, each small business brings to us is, is something that plays out, quite frankly, over a course of a year. So we're three months in, but the early indications are that there is indeed a lift from just what the, the, the digital um, marketing automation system is contributing. So we mm-hmm. set up a control group where as much as 50% of our new members are entered into the control group and 50% are allowed to proceed through the full marketing automation path. Mm-hmm. And if we, if we measure, you know, when somebody first joins to at this point, three months in, you know, what's the, the deepening of that relationship. And so for people who are in our control group or they're not receiving the marketing automation, um, that expansion is is happening at around six and a half percent, right? So from the number of products they start with, three months in, we've deepened that relationship by another six and a half percent. This is just on those products that might carry a balance, right? right. We're not counting things like your debit card or yeah. do you use online banking and mobile banking. This is just the products, something that can have a balance. So about six and a half percent in the control group. The, those people who are participating in the marketing automation system are are exceeding about nine and a half percent lift in deepening of that relationship. So it's about a three three plus percent at this stage 
of faster deepening, which, you know, in terms of a lift, that's it's almost a 40% um, improvement in the speed by which we're deepening that relationship. And the number of products and services, we measure those in, in a basis point at a time in terms of the cross-sale ratio. So one basis point, 0.01% improvement is a big deal for us. Yeah. Um, when you talk about that across an entire portfolio of, you know, for us, about 116,000 members, um, individuals. And so for those who are in the control group, we're looking at just um, under 2.2% uh, two products per individual. And for those who are in the nurturing path, we're approaching 2.3%. So in fairly small numbers, but in terms of a portfolio, that, that plays out as very meaningful. Yeah. So we're hopeful that as we get deeper into this process, again, over the course of this first year of measuring the control group effect and then, and then fully nurtured marketing automation paths, um, we'll have consumers and small businesses that will have gone through our onboarding, our reboarding, our anniversaries, and the nurturing paths that are derived from what they do, the behavioral triggers that we try to maximize. Love it. I love what you guys are doing. It is really refreshing to hear someone taking a platform like Marketo and other tools, uh, integrating it all together, and so laser-focused on driving revenue and driving growth and driving customer experience you guys, you guys are hitting all the marks. Uh, no pun intended, Rivermark. Um, David, am I going to see you? Hopefully, I'm going to see you at Adobe Summit, uh, which is coming up. I'd love to get some of the other credit unions together that uh, I know that you are network with, like we talked about, and pull of us all together and share some stories. Uh, it, it, would be, uh, it would be nice. We'll see if we can make that happen. Uh, if you had to wrap up this episode with a lesson or two learned, someone who's about to embark on the journey that you've been on? Big question, but do you have something there that you would say, here's, here's, my, here's my advice, and so they hopefully land in a place where, where you guys are? Yeah. No, I mean, I think, um, you know, there's a couple things to leap out. First, when you're considering the investment into a marketing automation platform, kind of bring it down to some use cases. In, in our case, we tried to come up with what, like, what is our phase one deliverable that we expect to achieve or implement as a result of the marketing automation systems. If you go into it knowing what you want to accomplish, you kind of avoid that paralysis by analysis thing. You know, it, it, I think that's a big opportunity. And I, I tell you, I speak with credit unions and banks all over the country who call and, you know, they see my LinkedIn posts. I try to write on LinkedIn often about our experience. Um, and what I've, what I've found is that not everybody, you know, while an increasing number of banks and credit unions are making that commitment to digital transformation and the enablement that comes from marketing automation systems, um, many are not fully utilizing the system and the capabilities that the marketing automation platforms bring to the fore. And so, you know, it helps to have very specific use cases that you want to unlock when you implement your system. So that, that would be recommendation number one. Mm -hmm. Number two, of course, is understand your data. You know, really think in advance about what data do you need in order to unlock those behavioral insights that are insightful triggers for when is the right time to reach out and touch someone. You know, it's what, it's what has helped us transform from kind of the old model of, um, you know, seasonal approach to sales to be a kind of anytime product selling. 
you know, when we partner with our sales teams, they, you know, they don't ask as much anymore because they've learned, <laughs> you know, it isn't about, well, what's the product of the quarter anymore? It's about, well, what, what leads can you give us about whatever they want? And so that, that really helps kind of cement that partnership with the sales team. But it's really driven by what data do you need in order to unlock those behavioral triggers that you can then watch for using the marketing automation platform. And the last thing, I suppose, would be really to acknowledge that the purchase of a marketing automation platform is a complex software system. And it, it really is the sort of thing that you're gonna, it's going to take some time to get up to speed on, but you can get there faster if you have a, a very well-versed uh, partner, uh, a collaborative um, consultancy like we found with DemandGen. Um, I, I love the team that, at DemandGen that we work with. I'm going to give a shout-out right now. Nice. You know, Linnea, um, Shauna, Sarah, the, those three um, and the, the team members that they then pull in for specific engagements and use cases, really, you know, we, we had a, a daily in the beginning and then transitioning to weekly and then every other week kind of uh, meetings by phone and online and their ability to help us get a, a fully phased um, four-channel outreach program stood up very quickly uh, really helped us feel like we were maximizing the investment that we put into the marketing automation platform. And then they were great about like giving us the reins and teaching us how to fish for ourselves. And uh, we, we, we keep them on, on speed dial <laughs> to this day and we're three years in. So I uh, love that team. Uh, thank you, Linnea, Shauna, Sarah. Couldn't have done it without you. Love it. I will make sure they listen to this episode. Thank you for giving them a shout out. And it's uh, th th those three, uh, as you say, I mean, I have a phenomenal team of almost 80 people. And I am I always kind of pinch myself and think like, how did we all find each other and get together and do the work that we do? I, I credit our HR team and, and good good word of mouth. Um, Sean is one of the best. Uh, she's been with us for, for a long time as, as one of our client engagement manager leads. And uh, as you said, Linnea, and uh, with her expertise, managing accounts, and Sarah, just, you know, Marketo Ninja, among other tool sets. Thank you, David. Thank you for spending some extra time with me on this episode. I think it was just phenomenal for us all to hear the very cool things that you guys are doing and, and pushing pushing the envelope in some ways. You, you guys don't have your heels on the ground. You're not doing batch and blast marketing, which all too often people uh, fall back to with a, a tool, and you guys really push it. We will make sure that this episode is heard by your colleagues and peers out there in the world, because I think the, the next credit union would love to get inspired by what you are doing. Well, that's going to do it for this episode. Thank you, David. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in. I hope you guys are off to a good Q1, and I hope you think about where we started, which is marketing should never be a cost center. It should be a revenue center. I loved your advice about, you know, start with the end in mind where you're going to have success, show that success, celebrate that success. And uh, I hope you all get to a place where David is, where people come to you and say, hey, if I gave you more budget, what could you do with it? That's phenomenal. All right, that's going to do it. Have a great day. Take care. You've been listening to Demand Gen Radio, bringing you the top industry experts, thought leaders, authors, marketing technology firms, and senior marketing leaders from around the world to teach you the methods and technologies for high-performance marketing.